Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm Johnny Mack. I'm here with Johnny Cap for another episode of the Revenue Builders podcast. Good afternoon, Cap. You ready to jump into the barrel here? I'm ready to go, brother. Ready to go. That didn't sound very enthusiastic, though. I'm ready, buddy. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. That's a little bit better. Hey, Cap, early in his career, our guest was a serial entrepreneur, having started and sold three different companies, IronCAD, Visionary Design Systems, and Alventive. Afterwards, Dave served as Senior Vice President of Celestica, which is a global services electronics manufacturing services company. Following Celestica, I'm going to put it this way, Dave switched sides to the other side of the table. Instead of being backed by venture capital companies or running his own company, Dave became a senior operating partner at the Riverside Company, which is a global private equity fund where he was involved with investing and managing small and medium-sized businesses. After Riverside, Dave joined Align Capital Partners, a private equity firm where he focuses on software and tech-enabled services. He's currently on the board of Seam, VetEvolve, We Are Rosie, and Stentech. Dave graduated from Purdue University with a mechanical engineering degree, and he lives in Ohio with his wife and three children. Cap, please welcome my good friend, a wonderful human being and a proven multi-talented business person, Dave Tiley. Hey, Dave, it's uh, it's great to see you again. Thanks for carving out some time to be with us, brother. Hey, listen, it's an honor. And just thinking about prepping for this, guys, I got to tell you that in my first three companies, right, I started companies because my dad had a massive stroke and I just had to take care of him because he was a young man when it happened. So that was my emphasis. I had to succeed. We competed with you guys at Parametric Technology. And I just want to say that's still the best run, scaled up from start to scale, uh, run sales organizations I've ever seen. And I just reflected on this I appreciate you guys because we compete with you guys every day and we didn't win, you know, all the time, as you know, but man, it made us better and, and it made us better every day. And I just want to say thanks for that because you guys are a big part of uh, who I am and how I approach things. So I appreciate it. No, thanks, Dave. I remember competing against you and I even you remember try, you trying to recruit me. So you're a yeah. hell, of, yeah. hell of a competitor. You never stopped. You kept coming. It yep. kept coming. And it wasn't once. You just kept coming and coming. So great job. You bet. Hey, Dave. So you're, you, you know, you worked in venture back companies and um, now you're private equity. And we've had a few venture capitalists on the podcast, but no one from the private equity side. And I think our audience, at least for me and probably for you and Cap, 
it took us a long time before we really figured out, like, what's the real difference between venture capital and private equity? So what I'd like to do is start by you describing maybe the major differences between venture capital and private equity for our audience, just to educate them. Sure, John, I'd be glad to. And, and again, it's from my perspective, so I don't mean to have all the answers, but you know, I certainly live both of these paths. And um, listen, on the venture capital side, which maybe more are familiar with, right? Those are early stage companies, maybe pre-revenue, maybe for sure pre-earnings. And there's a concept, an idea, and we hope there's a market behind it, right? It's big bets, right? You're hoping on maybe one out of 10 succeed. Um, it's usually a group of VCs go in, right? So they're all leveraging their bets. And then private equity, but just like venture, there's a lot of different types of funds where they focus, right? There's turnaround funds, there, there's growth funds. Our company, Align Capital, we're a growth fund. But the biggest difference is, is these companies already have revenue, they already have earnings, they already have proven in the market that there's something there. And for us as growth investors in the private equity space, we're looking for a company we think, hey, they got something special, but maybe with some more expertise, maybe with some more jet fuel, right? We can come alongside them, partner with them to accelerate the growth curve um, and build a really special company on the other end. So the difference is we're the only one at the table, right? So we're like all in, um, so it gets 100% of our focus. And where for a venture, they're successful, maybe one out of 10 hit it big, we really can't have more than 10 to 15% that don't make it. Um, mm. There should if if we have no companies that ever fail, we may be not taking enough risk. But if we have more ten to fifteen percent, then we're not doing something right. So I think those are the biggest things that I've seen. So it's kind of already proven uh, for where we work, which I love. They've got something that works, and this is all about how can we come together um, and really align and row together to create something special and bigger together. Right. So to to um... To say it again, it's basically that the VCs are spreading the risk of the investment amongst multiple venture capital firms as the company starts to grow. And PE firms, as you called it, you're all in. You own the entire, you come in and own the entire company. Yeah. I and mean, the approach is different because we really roll up our sleeves. I know for my team, right? <laughs> we're, we're, our whole idea is be a servant leader and help these CEOs and anything we can do to help them be better each and every day. Um, so yeah, that's the primary difference that I see. What about the board makeup? Like if you go into a, a venture capital backed firm, you know, usually there's the seed investor and and they may yeah. bring on maybe one other like operations type board member. And then as they grow, when people put money into the company, they typically want to have a board seat. It's not that they always give them a board seat, but they, they right. want to have a board seat. Yeah. And then when you go and invest in a company, typically there probably is already a board makeup. And, and what typically happens to that board? That board in our in our model would go away, right? Because that got rewarded for whatever it is that we're paying to partner with them, right? And now it's time for the 2.0 version of that company. So who would be on the board going forward be the CEO for sure. There might be another founder, you know, perhaps that could also be. There would be someone on my team. So we go in, the operating partner goes in as the chairman of the board in our model. And then we usually have the investment uh 
partner who led the investment is on the board. And then we look for two outside board members. And it really depends on the deal in terms of what we think we're going to do in the early stages. So if it is a big revenue play, who can bring some juice to help us, you know, as we build and scale sales, or it could be a marketing thing. It could be some relationships. So we try to bring people in those two seats that would add value for that specific company for that specific journey. Right. So the, and then going back again, where where VCs may go raw in a seed investment or they may come in during the growth or scale stage, you're going in when companies are basically fully mature. And that could be how many years typically they've been in business, five years, 10 years, 20 years or all the above. Yeah, John, let me just push back on one word when you say sure. fully, fully mature. Um the way we look at the world at Align is we embrace good to great in everything we do. So when we partner with a company, they've already done something really well, right? And, and they get rewarded for that, for that stage. But to reward our investors in the next tranche, that 2.0 version, we got to radically improve the company. So we've got to kind of embrace that good to great. So in every area, we think there's opportunities to be better. And, and that's the fun of our job. If we're not getting better each and every day in every phase of the business, then we think somebody else is. And, and that's kind of our fun. Then we're not playing our best foot forward for our employees, for our shareholders, right? And our investors. Yes. Yeah, so what so, you're doing is you're going in and looking at almost each and every operation of the business. And then you're deciding, you know, can I streamline these operations to take this company to the next level? Is that fair? Absolutely. And you're just trying to optimize it to take it to the next level. Because as you know, as, a, as you build companies to get to 20 million is one thing, but to get to 50 and then 100, you know, they're just different stages and different steps. And there's a different playbook really for each. Now, listen, we don't have it all perfect. So please, I hope everyone's hearing that. I don't mean that at all. But we're going to roll up our sleeves and do our best to be a partner for them on that journey of good to great. So it really starts with this acknowledgement in our mind is, hey, we're not all there. And for a CEO that thinks they're all there and all they need is money, we're not a good partner, right? Because we're going to look at every phase of the business that we can as a way to try to get better um, as we go forward. And that's, you know, part of the fun and part of the competitiveness in us. And maybe we'll come back to this again later, but if, sure. and because uh, Cap wants to talk a little bit about some of the in key parameters of investing in companies, but. Yep. On the exit strategy, do you feel like private equity companies have a different exit strategy than venture capital firms? Yeah, and that's, for me, the hardest part about this business, right? Because you've known me for a long time, right? I, I uh, My dad taught me a dance with the one that brought you. And in these cases, you get close with these leadership teams, right? Yeah. And, but someday, there's going to be another transition. And, and so that just we're just clear with people, right? There will be a sale of the company at the other end. So we just acknowledge and put it out there. But we just kind of put it out there, right? Because at the end of the day, we're about building a great company. Because if you do that, every option is available to you. But that's a little bit weird for me and for our team, right? Because you, you, you know, you know it like a band of brothers. You go into something together, right. uh, and it's all in kind of thing. And then so at the at the end, you know, there is going to be another owner to that business. So part of our job is to get that company also ready for that next 3.0 version, right? And some of the things that we do, I think, are unique to them, and I think that 
that's why they like to partner with Align. And that they could that, could that also be an IPO? Could you take them public? It could be. You said it could be basically an M and A event, right? Or could it be another yeah. liquidity event? Yeah. It, listen, it could be an IPO. I hadn't seen it happen at Riverside, and it hasn't happened here at Align. Uh, okay. We have one that maybe is possible. Uh, but normally, we've had six exits so far, right? We're, we're six years old. And, you know, a third of those have been to a strategic, and then the rest to kind of PE back. Our job is really to prepare them for the larger PE funds that want to then go scale it again right kind of thing. So that's really the path we're on. But many times strategics who are sometimes are also private equity backed, right, as well, right? Uh, they like what we have built so far, and they're a good uh, partner going forward. And just one final question before I pass it over to Kat, yeah. but have you taken any company that was public, taken it private, and then tried to do some sort of liquidity event at the end? We've carved out a division of a public company brought okay. that in, build it up and sold it again, but not uh, a whole company yet. Got it. Got I don't it. see that happening again. We're we're in the low end of the middle market, right? So those are companies, if it's a SaaS company, it's got maybe 5 million of ARR or maybe even less if we really like them and we think we can really add value um, to maybe say 50, 60 million of revenue, right? That's kind of the range. So the enterprise value of deals we do are in that, you know, 25 to say, hundred million dollar range that that's where we live so we're the low end of the mid-market right but as we move into this you know what some people say we may be moving into a recessionary time and a really tough time you may see more and more of those deals potentially for sure hey the world is changing as we speak yeah no no question um and again it just gets back to you know is this a company that wants a partner right to help them get to the next stage and so we can stretch i mean our latest fund we just raised we're so blessed to be able to do it in this environment you know 662 million it's just an incredible testimony i think to what we're doing um so we've got about 1.4 billion under management right now and so we certainly could stretch but we're not going to go up market we love the low end of the mid market because those are companies that really need the help and want the help for the most and you can make those changes much much quicker than you can trying to turn around a celestica say as you mentioned in your early comments and just going back on one more thing <laughs> sorry Kat. yeah it's all right one more thing that um you said do you think that essentially venture firms get their money from the same like pension funds and state run funds that, that private equity companies get their yeah. funds. from. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap and they have an allocation that all of them have us, how much to VC, how much to private equity. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's a lot of the same investors. Okay. That's a good overview cap. So before we jump off to some of the uh, some of the insights that that you look for, Dave, and in your due diligence, I just want to follow up on uh, another thing. I want I want us to sit in the seat of somebody working in these companies, yeah. And some of the stigma that might not be the right word, but some of the preconceived notions, which I think are radically changing. If you work for a VC backed company, you know. Back in back when we were younger, it was kind of a focus on earnings before growth. And like, if you look at the last 10 years, it was growth before earnings. So, and I think we're going to probably see that kind <clears throat> of taper a little bit and get more in realistic mode. 
um, coming up. I'd like your uh, your thoughts yeah. on that. But then working for a private equity firm, um, some of the stigma might be a preconceived notion. I'd like to for you to comment on it. It's like it's all about EBITDA. It's um, you know, it's 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 about profit and it's about you know profit before growth and and so with that brings some preconceived notions. You know, last ten years in venture has been you know growth at all costs is a different mindset and the way you scale a company. If you're working in private equity and you have this, if if there's a preconceived notion about you know, how are we going to invest? Is it going to be more difficult to get investments for growth? Could you just kind of talk to our listeners a little bit as they're thinking about companies that they might be interested in and working for? What do you think it's going to be like to work in a venture-backed company in 2023? What do you think it's going to be like to work for a private equity uh, firm-backed uh, company uh, with some of those preconceived notions, that was a lot of words. Sorry, but I wanted to set the stage. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's 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 brought up a lot of thoughts. So I'll, I'll be really quick. Number one, I got fired from my last company because I was too focused on earnings, and we were growing at you know 100. percent But I was told that that wasn't you know I was focused too much on earnings, and it was like, well, that didn't make sense to me. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to do both, right? And and I think with the economy where we are today clearly, you know, you're going to have to do both, right? Whether it's PE or whether it's even venture. And now less so maybe in venture still, but in PE, it's always been a mix. And that's a really good question, John, because I've been a guy that's been trying to teach the private equity folks that I've been with. It's not just all about EBITDA, right? It's when you have earnings, you know, and revenue growing together, that's when you drive outsized returns. And I've been blessed to have really strong outsized returns. And so what I've let's what that's taught me is if you do both well, um, you're going to get rewarded in any market, by the way. But clearly in the market going forward, you're going to have to have earnings if you want to get a higher valuation. But what our whole operating premise is around and our, we have an operating rhythm and a line, as you probably guessed, um, it, it's doing both. And, and I think you have to do both to be a disciplined business, to be prepared no matter what happens, right? Um, because you don't want to be at the hands of someone else. Like if you're so leveraged and you don't have enough EBITDA to pay for that, well, that's a problem, right? So we look at both. But I think private equities also learned to be fair because that was more EBITDA multiples. And it still really is. But you you hear a lot more about ARR multiples, too. And it's 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 a process. Right. So I think it's a balance where both are kind of going to the middle where we're going to see that, hey, you know, both of these things are important. Does that help? Yeah, it does. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think some of those the jungle is going to self-correct on both of those kind of philosophies as it, as we go yeah. into 2023. Hey, one other thing um, on the differences, um, or actually on the PE from the exit that Johnny was talking about, um, yeah. having lived through this before, uh, myself and my own company, talk a little bit about if you're a if you're in a PE backed firm and you're talking about an exit with a strategic or an exit with another private equity backed company, yeah. uh, excuse me, another private equity firm. Could you just educate our listeners on really what that means and typically what it means to the individuals, to, to management teams and those type of stuff? Because I think it's a really, really good point. Sure. 
Yeah, listen, every PE firm has a model, but for ours, with you can kind of guess from our name of our firm, Align, we want to be aligned with the management team. Um, we're under no illusion. I just want to say this, and this isn't true of all private equity firms. We believe the value comes from the management teams, okay? So we're there to support them in any way we can to help them, right? Drive outsized returns. But they, they're flying the plane. They create the value. And that, that's really important. Not everyone operates that way, right? But that's a mentality. That's probably the offensive lineman in me that I've not been the quarterback. And we're there to serve others. Well, it works, right? We're there to serve <laughs> these leadership teams. So at the end of the day, Right. For that team and our model, they all have equity. Right. So they're aligned with us. They can roll equity from the first deal, which we really like to see. Right. So that they're kind of all in with us, Rowan. They also get options. Right. As we go forward. Right. So that we are all aligned, growing together. And I love in our deals. We're all in the same equity pool. Right. There's not different levels. You know, we're all in it together, rowing together. I don't win if they don't win kind of thing, right? And I love that, right? Because it does force that alignment and, and forces us to row together. On an exit, you're right. And you never know, right? Because in all the deals, everyone says, well, it goes strategic or will it go to a We don't know. You guess and you're always wrong kind of thing. So again, that's back to let's create a great company and then every op option will be available to us and we'll pick the best one. It is hard for the leadership team to say, okay, if it is a strategic, and they don't need the CEO or don't need a CFO, right? That's hard. And I think you just have to be honest, right? And talk through that. If that happens, right, then what happens, right? You, first, you got to listen to them to see. Don't declare day one that, hey, I don't want to go to a strategic because that makes no sense because you don't know what the opportunity could be for you as an individual. Let's get to that point, get all the data, and then you can make a personal decision, right, to go with the company decision. But if it is, if you're a CEO or CFO, because you don't need two of those in the company, right? And one that does get eliminated, there's always a either a transition period usually negotiated. But what I want to encourage people is financially, they get rewarded no matter what. And it's usually a pretty life-changing event. And that's why we really focus on the journey, not the exit, right? It's that journey because they just... They, their quiver just got richer and bigger because they've done now a private equity exit. And that just makes them more right open and, and the door opens for other opportunities. We love to work with you know, CEOs and leadership, members of the leadership team over and over because we know each other, we appreciate each other, we know each other's strengths. So it's not like one is good or bad um, and you just never know until you get to the end. And then everyone's got to make their own decision for where they are in their life and where they are with their family. Um, and that's personal. Right. And, and, and at the end of the day. But when you get to an exit, it's usually a really good financial outcome for everybody. Um, and it just gives opportunities that, you know, quite honestly, we're all blessed to have um, and we all need to be thankful for. And if you're not part of that management team, if you're an individual contributor, yep. I think it's probably a really good advice to be able to say, keep your mind open because with a strategic could come new opportunities. And what we mean by a strategic is that that's being sold or combined with another company that's kind of a, uh, you know, that's kind of a strategic player in the marketplace versus being sold just to another private equity firm. So on one side, you have, you know, more opportunities for individuals in a strategic on a, uh, a private equity uh, purchase, um, the keeping your mind open of you, now you have a new financial backer that is going to 
learn and understand what your growth plan is. And so there's there's great opportunities either way. There can be great opportunities. But I think sometimes individuals, they just look at, um, they don't think about like if it's going to a strategic or it's going to another private equity firm. And what does that mean to me as an individual contributor? I think it's really, really important to keep your mind open. It does. And, and I think for everyone, just remember, right? <laughs> The skills you're learning on these journeys, that that's what you want to do, because that makes you more marketable for any path that you want to take going forward. Um, and that's sometimes I think we lose sight of. And maybe the younger generation, too, is losing sight of because they want to go from here to here a lot of times. Um, and it's that journey is where I see a lot of the value that comes. Um, and one thing I'll say, too, we try to broaden the pool that gets the financial impact of this. I, I was so proud of one of my partners. We sold a manufacturing company earlier this year. And when we wrote checks to all the folks in manufacturing, Man, because they came in every day during COVID, right? We could all sit in our comfy offices and sit back. They didn't have that choice. They got bills to pay. They came in every day. And so we shared that with them. And I'll never forget that day. That 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 gets me up early, right? And, and wants me to keep going and pushing. That's awesome. So, Johnny, I'm going to transition to um, some of the investment strategies. Anything else? Um um, the things that we've been talking about, the differences in private equity and VC. No, All right. I think it's right. Is this going how you guys want it to it go? Is. Yeah, it is. It is, brother. Okay. Thank Great. you. Okay. Doing a good job. Thanks. So let's talk a little bit now in the investment strategies and, and, and maybe around the due diligence. And so when you look at companies today, what are some of the key parameters that you're looking for when you're investing in a private company? You know, you, I think you mentioned uh, management teams and, and how yeah. important that is. If you'll talk a little bit about that and then other key components that you look for. Well, first off, we have kind of our four segments that we try to focus most of our time in. Right. So the first one, software and tech enabled services. Um, the second one, second one is uh, financial consulting or professional services, then industrial services we have, right? And then specialty manufacturing and distribution. So I know those are broad, but those are the four we kind of go after. It's not to say we wouldn't do one outside that, but most of them are in that sector. That's what we focus on uh, as a, from a sector perspective so that we can be a better, more informed investor. So listen, first off, you do look at, hey, how has the company performed, right? And there's no question, uh, because if they haven't performed, we probably wouldn't be talking to them, right? And we probably look at, uh, I don't know, I should know this number, over 2,000 companies a year, and, and wow. that we probably buy four platform companies and probably another 25 to 30 add-ons, you know, to those platform companies a year. So we look at a lot of companies. So we're looking for, is there something special there, right? Is the offering have something special, right? Um, do you think, hey, that, that's got legs to it, right? And then you map all the things going on around it, right? Meet, whether it be the economy, whether it be trends, whether it be, you know, focus shifts, and you see, hey, because it's a lot easier to swim with the current, right, than swim upstream. So you look for that kind of thing to say, do we think over the course of these next couple of years, is this business going to be easier or harder? And, and easy may not be the right word, but you know what I mean? It's like, hey, there's going to be more need for the, what this company provides versus it's going to get harder. So it's all around that sustainability of those of that revenue and earnings growth that we're looking for. And I think the thing we've learned, John and John, and you probably know this, it's it just comes down to the people, though, are the most important thing. It's, it's, just, it's that team. And is it that team focused? And are they rowing together? 
And in our model, you got to embrace that good to great, right? So it can't be about, you know, hey, um, not afraid to be honest with each other and say, that dog ain't hunting kind of thing, right? We got to relook at this. We owe that, right, Um, to all of our employees, to all of our investors that we want to maximize this opportunity um, and be great, right? So, and not everyone's like that. And that's okay. I think what we're doing is doing a better job of defining who we are in our operating rhythm so that companies can know what they're getting into. So upfront in the due diligence process, we're figuring that out. And, and we tell them, hey, if that's not who you are, please tell us, because there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of ways to make money. We're not going to change you know, who we are, um, and you shouldn't either for you. So let's just be honest with each other, right, as we go through that dating process of which a deal um, is really, right, where everyone's kind of putting their best foot forward. But we're trying to be as honest as we can of who we are, because if you get the if the dynamics aren't right with the leadership and the team, boy, it's hard. And it's just not much fun, to be honest, right? Um, as we all get older, right, that, that's a bigger factor. You want to work with people that you love and uh, that you really enjoy going to work with every day. Dave, have you ever found where there was an exceptional founder with an okay leadership team, executive team, or the other way around, you know, an yeah. exceptional leadership team and the founder was just like, yeah, I'm not so sure. Uh, I mean, if you're getting to a point, can a, a great team overcome a bad product and win? I think the answer is yes. Nine times out of 10. Uh, yeah. And listen, we can all get lucky. I always say I'd rather be lucky than good, but I work every day at being good. So we're trying to, you know, anything can happen. But but normally what we like to see, that CEO is pretty critical. It, in our model, right? Because that's who my team's going to be partnered with, right? My jo- What I tell my team is your first job is to earn the trust of the CEO, right? Think about that for a minute, because I don't know private equity is that way, but earn the trust of the CEO, because once you're in that trust, then you can really be a partner together, right? And, and then you're not playing games, trying to position, trying to, you can really get to things quicker. And some of it was selfish for me. When I had 36 companies in my last fund, I always had to put my decoder ring on. What is the CEO really trying to tell me, right? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'd rather be at home at dinner with my kids instead of missing that, right? Trying to figure this yeah. out. So we really try to ha- build that trust as job one. And that says that's more of a servant leadership model that we have for us. Now that's not, again, not for everybody, but that's what we like to look for. So someone that we can build that trust with so that one plus one can equal three or more. That, that's what we're trying to do. It's because there's talent everywhere, but it's when this talent comes together, is it more than just the sum of the parts? And that's the fun of this. And when you get that to work, boy, it's a lot of fun and rewarding. So Dave, you are so good at, you know, really understanding the dynamics of what that culture of that leadership team really is. What are the fruits of that leadership team? I want you to think about our listeners for just a second, because regardless of private equity or, or investment, if you were just telling people, like, what are the things to look out for? These are the things that you really, really like about when you see a leadership t- team that does these things, that's a really good company to go work for. When you see a leadership team doing these three things, those are red flags. Do you have some that stick out to you that are like really good things and then some red flags? Sure. I, I think, um, listen, 
I spent a lot of time when I interview people say, wow, that was the weirdest interview I've ever had, right? Because I'm not talking a lot on the first interview about what they did or how much growth they had here or there or anything. I'm trying to figure out who they are as a man or woman, what's important to them, how they're wired, right? What, what defines success for them kind of thing? Because in the course of an ownership of the company, you're going to have up and downs, right? It's, it's like a venture company in that way, right? It's not all straight line to success. So you want to know who you're going to be working with and how they're going to operate in those ups and downs kind of thing. So I think the big thing is, is trying to figure out what's important to people, right? Um, because I don't think people change their spots necessarily, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so those core things of who they are when things are tough, because they're going to get tough, right? How are they going to behave? How are they going to perform? Right? To try to understand as much of that as possible, because then you can see, because listen, in the dating process, that's probably not a good term to use anymore, but everyone's trying to put their best foot forward. At least I did, right? Because I was a short, fat guy, right? So I had to put my best foot forward when I was dating. And uh, so at the end of the day, we all, you know, so you got to kind of try to look through that. And so what I look for is, hey, is what they're saying, is there proof of that, right? You say you have a great culture. Well, what are the proof points of that, right? You say you have a great sales process. What are the proof points of that? You say you have great customer satisfaction. What are the proof? So I'm kind of a Missouri type, right? Show me. Um, so I think that, um, but, but I tell you what, I love is when there's a clear mission, right? That's the job of the CEO. You paint that clear, clear picture of where we're headed on these next three to five years together, right? And then get make sure everybody understands that. And then you back it up. What I like to see, they can back it up to say, okay, for this year, we're going to do these three things. And this is part of our Align operating room to help them, right? Because what are those most important things that move the needle? Let's get those done, right? Mm. Because when you get those done, everybody feels better because they were a part of that, right? So I like to see where teams think that way, because as you know, when you're having some success, that could also be the kiss of death, because then you start to think you can do anything. And if what I've seen, if you're not focused and the ability to make those hard calls to say, yeah, we could do that, but this one's better for these reasons, therefore we're gonna go here, right? And then be able to shut that off because so many times, right? Everyone wants to go back and try to do everything. And then pretty soon the team's so worn out and uh, tired of rowing that it ain't fun anymore kind of thing. So I think that I would look for that focus, right? The ability to focus and do they really like each other? And it can't not like them, like we're going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya all the time, because I'm not saying that at all, but they respect each other, right? And you can see, right, that that trust exists with them, because when the trust is there, then good things can happen. If the trust isn't there, it's just harder. It just takes longer, and it's not as fun uh, kind of thing. So I would think some of those things, John, if that's helpful, um, I, I think just knowing alignment in their life, where they are in their life, does this make sense on the next stage of the journey? Because everybody's in a different stage. Everyone has different needs um, to see, do those kind of line up to say, yeah, this should be good uh, to go. Um, and then it's also, I guess, if you have to have a hard conversation, how people handle them, right? Because like to deal up front, we thought of a company where I thought the VP of sales was not going to be the VP of sales in our ownership, right? And that's a hard conversation to have with someone, particularly when we haven't really earned the right to say it, right? Because it's like, who's this guy? They don't know us yet. But I wanted to be fair to that individual to say, based on what I know we're going to have to do. Now, that doesn't say there's not a place for you on the team, but it just may be a different one, right? Be able to have those conversations and see how people react, that, that that's a real tell for us. 
Uh, and then again, you know, you can see it when people really understand their business. I personally like it when we're playing for something bigger than just making money, right? Are we doing good in the world? I love that, right? We're, we're making a difference in people's lives. Um, that's the stuff that for CEOs that can create that, you know, mission to where it, it, it captures people's hearts. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And for CEOs can make that mission where it's like that, like we are rosy, you know, we're, we're given opportunities for jobs or people that would never get a look, right? Because they don't have the pedigree. They don't have the, the background. I love that. So we're making money, but we're doing good in the world. And, and so we love that when that opportunity exists. I love that. that. Let help? me just some yeah, let me summarize a few of those that I think are really are really so good. Like when you're taking a look at companies, whether you're investing in companies, whether you're thinking about working in a company, whether you're thinking about staying in the current company that you're in, look for how leadership teams handle hard times. Cause you see the best you see people's character in times of chaos. Yeah. Uh, not in times of, you know, of of the great times. Is, and I really, really love that advice. And and whether or not people are focused, are they, do they have a plan to make the plan? Yeah. Um, and how they handle hard conversations. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, waking up and really feeling like you're doing things that matter in the world. I think those that's really, really good advice for people who are just taking inventory, Johnny Mac, at the end of the year here. Am I, am I working for a great company? These are some good attributes. Am I thinking about going to another company? These are some good attributes to uh, to take a look at. Anything else like that, Johnny, that you can think of? Well, Dave, earlier on, you talked about the way you're going to make money with a mature company is you're going to have to go in. And let's yeah. say the founder and everybody else is good. They passed that test. Now you're going to have yeah. to streamline operational processes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And as you look at the gamut of different processes inside a company, typically what are the one, two or three processes that you kind of say, Oh, I know that this is typically almost in every company we go in, this thing's broke, this is broken or needs more discipline or needs more streamlining. Sales is where we focus, right? Because we're a growth equity fund. So <clears throat> we focus on sales. Yeah. So every company has to have a sales playbook, right? And it has to be practiced and lived by. Um, and I will tell you that none of the companies have had them that, that we go into day one. And, and uh, we have a whole evaluation that they they do this evaluation. So instead of me coming in and saying, hey, your sales processes are not good, right? That's not a great way to start a relationship. Well, right? if one like, exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But they tell you what, when you're dating, they all exist, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We got we got stages, right? We, we, yep, yep, we got all that, right? And then you get in there and you're looking around like saying, Whoa, right? Well, that's a little different than what we heard in the dating process. So we've come up with a way they do a survey and they all do it. And it just shows red, yellow, green. And guess what? There's a whole lot of red, but that's yes. back to this. It's not bad. It's back to that good to great. Well, there's an opportunity to be better here, right? So you can either create the playbook and here's the things that needs to have, or guess what? As your partner, we've created this playbook. We've done it for 15 years and da, da, da. And you keep your day job. What do you want to do? 100% of them must take it. I'll take door B. And so we do do a sales playbook because really, and all that is about what are the best practices in sales, right? What are all the things to do that you can help build a scalable 
sales function because a lot of these small companies they have like one individual that was really gifted right and could bring rain but that doesn't scale and that ain't gonna allow us to get to the 2.0 version of this thing just on the backs of that one person and mm -hmm. it doesn't that's not good to great so what we do is then how do you professionalize that to make it where we're training the best practices we're hiring the best practices we're managing the best practices and we're performing the best practices and that is a differentiator and by the way what I'm amazed by, John and John, is every time we go to sell a company to the bigger firms on the other end, they look at this playbook and say, holy crap, we need this. And so I'm always amazed. And you guys know this, right? No one wants to have that disciplined approach to sales. It, it's just everybody wants to kind of wing it and shoot from the hip. And you can individuals can win that way. But that's not how you scale something. So that's probably the biggest area we focus on. In terms but also, of when you put like a structured sales process in place, when there's never been one, there are some people that are going to stay, but there's going to be some people that are going to exit stage, right? They just don't want that type of, you know, structure or discipline to their to their process because they don't have one. They basically could be just sales people. Absolutely. No. And that's where you just have to be that's clear. It's not scalable. Yeah. Say, folks, the boat has left the dock. Your choice is do you want to be on it or not? Because it's not an option to be, you know, swimming around. It's either get on the boat or, you know. And, and but what I do tell them is even for someone that's been doing this for 10 years and say, oh, I don't need all this, to say, no, that's not true. We all can use it, right? Because it's best, it's good to great. We're going to make you more valuable. That, that's our commitment to you. <laughs> hey, this. You've been selling for how many years and no one's ever done this for you before? Well, this company is. So we try to turn that on them. But you're right. Some people are just going to say, nah. And that's where that honest discussion. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. But the, the boat's leaving. Right. Right. And there's another. But why do you think that is? Why is it that in most of those small, medium sized businesses, which I've also found the same thing, there is no structure to sales, even though they've done pretty well as a company? There's just no structure. Why do they always leave that part out? Well, I have think. You ever, have you ever asked? Yeah, listen, I, I don't know if we have enough time or we'll go down this path. But I, <laughs> I mean, some of it is some of it is people going to sales sometimes for the wrong reasons, right? They don't want discipline. They don't want anybody to find out what they're doing. They they want to play golf too. They, you know, so there's some of that for sure. I think some of it has just been no one likes to be told what to do, and particularly right. when you've had some success, and so. That's where we just, we all got to get that. That's back to that early mindset. Will they embrace good to great? Because it's not about your bad. It's not about, it's just, we owe it to our investors for this next phase. We got to be better. So just doing more of the same is not going to get us there. So it's more of that. That's why I like that good to great. Cause it's not your bad. I'm just trying to help you be better. So you can make more money for your family. And then we make more money as a company. And then our investors get right that return. But some of them, you're right. They're just, stubborn or don't want to change people don't like change uh, you know so you got to show them why that's good for them personally but if they don't want to get on the boat that's where you just have to decide and so and that's hard right i mean you know john how i feel about people and they're everything but yeah. at the end of the day if they don't want to be there or don't want to change they're, they're going to be a hard fit going forward with us well we always talk about people process and technology and is are yeah. there certain technologies that you have gone in and seen that they're missing from let's say sales or marketing or other operations in the business where there's a common or a couple common tools where you feel like oh these guys really need this technology in order to boost their operations 
Yeah. Well, first I want the processes, right? So the discipline to get the right. Processes. You got to get that right first. That's yeah. job now comes we automate. Time. But yeah, like on sales, we implement Salesforce every place. So as the playbook's being created, it's being created in Salesforce. So when we train on it, everything day one is off and going. And now we've even created the nine things we want to see as a PE investor in a board meeting and in a, in a monthly op review for the VP of sales, right? So now those are button picks out of it too. So we don't take nine months to try to get those nine things, right? It was right. used to take that long trying to convince someone, right? Particularly VP of sales who've done it before, right? I say, listen, here's what I'll say. These nine, that's all. I want to see these nine. Everything else, you, you can do whatever you want, right? But these nine, we want to see, and now they come in the playbook. So we do that. We're creating a lead gen as a front end of this because lead gen is not an area of excellence for a lot of our companies, right? So we have a lead gen playbook we're now plugging in. That's HubSpot, but you know, in the front end tool to that. So yeah, we've integrated all these things together. I would say the other area, just so you know, too, is just in the financial area, right? Because most of these companies have been owned by families, right? Or family-owned businesses. And the financial rigor that we demand, right? That's different. So we're going to put in an ERP system. We're going to put in a financial system um, because we need to have the accountability and reportability to our investors, right? So all that's fully automated. I mean, I can tell you how our fund did, right? On 10 minutes after they all submit, right? So we've got all those systems that do that. So it's the financial side and the sales side are the two primary ones. Now, if it's a software development company, you know, we're going to do Jira, we're going to do, you know, the tools that they need. But I'd say the financial and the sales side, those go into everything we do, no matter what. And then what about, what about training? I mean, usually in these small companies, they've, they've done pretty well, but they've never really taken the time. Again, if you're going to streamline processes with people and technology, do you find that most companies actually are training their, their people when they're onboarding them and constantly training them to, so that they can excel in their positions? Well, I'd like to think that the companies in the aligned portfolio are given it a yeoman's chance, right? And we're getting better every day. Are we perfect? No. Uh, the sales playbook stuff, we're very good at training there, right? Because it's so critical to get the adoption and to understand it and the follow-on. So, and it's designed for that, right? So the top 10 objection handling session that gets updated, right? So that's a concept. So as an example, so I, I think we're trying, John. I mean, but listen, I think you can always be better. Um, I'll tell you, it starts like, like we've created a workshop now that we do with every new company. And it's just to make sure the mission statement is clearly articulated, understood, and then it grabs people's heart and the values we're going to live by on this journey. Right. And you'd say, well, and we do, we take two days with the management team and hammer that out. So it's theirs, not Dave's, right. Or not aligns their mission, their values, and then hold them accountable to living that. That's been, you know, for me, again, that's one of those things we know right, is important, but you get so busy sometimes you forget those basics. And th- that's something that has been like gold for us because it's crystallized that vivid picture. Ah, that's why we're doing this. That's how we're going to get there. And this is, these are the values. And for the younger folks that are coming, they love to see that, right? Um, yes, for sure. Absolutely. They want you better to be authentic then and live by them because it's worse to say them and not live by them, right? So I right. like that accountability for us. And yeah, you have the, uh, been, you know, started three of your own companies, and now you're going into these companies, and now you basically kind of probably sometimes looking back and saying, "Ooh, I missed this too when I was, 
when I was, you know, doing my building, oh. my company. And now you can talk about, you know, what they need and why they need it with passion and with real examples of, you know, what you missed when you were at those, that stage of some of your companies, no? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look back to it, a blessing it was that you and I, when we went to HP, that was an awfully good place to learn process and learn disciplines, right? Then you go do those startups. I did that turnaround, that large public company, all those things that turned out to be just a great, um, I guess, toolkit for me, right? Because I've seen a lot of different things and made a lot of different mistakes. And and as we all know, listen, none of us have all the answers, right? We're just willing to work hard and we're going to go figure it out, right? We're going to just work at it and get it right. And, uh, but no, it has been a great journey uh, for sure. Uh, Yeah. Sorry. No, it's good. Hey, Johnny, I, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about your introduction of Dave and I'm not sure this came across. You've mentioned it a couple of times here, but like, uh, Dave, I think this is true. Um, you had a you had a full ride scholarship at uh, Miami um, Miami University or University of, of Miami of Ohio. Right. You had a full ride scholarship there, and you were ready to go. And then you played really really well in an all star game, and Purdue began to talk to you, and you forego the scholarship. You walk on to Purdue. You play football, you pursue a mechanical engineering degree, um, you start three companies. You start them with your best friend, I think, which the day Harvard would tell you, I did the same thing. Harvard would tell you, don't do that. Like you have a number of different examples where you've taken risks and you've bet on yourself. As we're just, you know, we're kind of wrapping up the year here, and I'm, we're, I want you to just talk a little bit about your philosophy. You're obviously a risk taker. You invest in yourself. You bet on yourself. Um, I know you're a big coach. You coach high school football, and and you're a coach on these boards or what have you. Do you have some words of wisdom for us? that are, you know, people that are just thinking about, you know, whether or not they should take the risk and um, whether or not, you know, they should bet on themselves. Do you have any insights or words of wisdom there? Because you clearly have, that's that's part of your DNA. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And like I told you, I, I don't really, you know, when my dad had that stroke, I felt like I had to do something to try to care for him because he was only 57 when that happened. So yeah. That's what pushed me to kind of take that risk, John. So I think I'm maybe a fake uh, entrepreneur in a way because I just had to do it because my dad was everything to me. And it's certainly a hero on this side of heaven for me. I think for me, it's just like acknowledgement. I'm so grateful for the gifts and the blessings I've been given, right? And and, and listen, I think they're God-given for me. And, and I want to do, I want to make sure this life counted and, and try to make a difference. So I, I guess, you know, I've been grateful that he's wired me to just go take those risks and not, you know, that doing that football, right? Walking on and doing mechanical engineering. That's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, even to this day. And I think that's been an incredible gift. I hated it at the time. It was the hardest thing I did. My coach beat me down every day, right? Every day for years until he got fired. A new guy came in my senior year and I got a chance, right? 
how t- it would have been so easy to quit so many different times, but all that made me who I am today. So I'd say the one thing I would say, and I've seen this as, as a parent too, is we kind of want to protect our kids from all tough things. And I don't think that's right. No. I've, learned, I've learned the most in my failures. I've learned the most when I, I'm knocked down and it's just about getting back up right? Dusting yourself off and saying, okay, but learn from that, right? And then go forward. But the failures aren't a problem. The failures are a great opportunity to learn. And so I think that's the one thing I'd say. And and I don't know if that's what you're asking, John, but, and I think the second thing, and particularly with younger kids today, and even for our generation, right? I just want to tell people, man, bloom where you're planted. Everyone's trying to think, well, I got to get to the next three jobs or I got to get to over here. I got to get over here. And they're missing the blessing of what this job can give you. Right. Because I think you can learn something in every situation. And what I see is, you know, you do you, John, you talk about training. You do all these great trainings. But the data shows that 95 percent of the people just go back to the right same old habits as soon as they get back to their office because they just get back on the treadmill. And so what I've been grateful for is to, hey, when you have those lessons, let's learn them. I guess that's been my MBA kind of thing. So let's make sure we learn those and apply it. So I don't know if that's what you're getting at, John, if that's helpful. But I think people are always just trying, oh, when I get to that CEO or that corner office or I get that car or I get that wife or get that husband or whatever it is, I think they miss the blessing of what today could be and and the impact they could have there and on the people around them. Yeah. Hey, Cap. So I've been around Dave when he's like in the moment and doing a presentation. And he's one of the most passionate presenters that I've ever seen in my entire life because he's in it. He believes it. He's got all he's all in on it. And that's what makes him also, you know, a wonderful and passionate presenter. And I think that's also what you're saying, too, Dave, is for these young kids that want to just skip three or four steps be in the position that you're at right now. Be passionate about it. Love it. Learn everything about it. And then it'll be easier to go to the next step. I personally never wanted to walk into an office and then I was like walking on eggshells because I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, yeah. I wanted to feel like, hey, like I'm a batter and you can throw me any pitch you want. I'm going to hit it. Right. Because now I've, I've had the experience of it. I had many failures. But yeah. I've always loved you and loved how you, passionate you are about things, Dave. Well, one thing that's helped me is I watched my dad for 18 years being paralyzed with that stroke. And it would take him, I tell people this, you know, it would take him two hours to get his pants and socks on every morning. I mean, I'll tear up just saying it. I mean, think about that every day. But he did it because he didn't want to be a burden to my mom or, my, you know. That's hard. <laughs> what we get to do every day is a blessing. And I think that's been really helpful to me to keep that perspective that, uh, yeah, we're really blessed to get to do what we get to do. And uh, it should be fun and it should enjoy it. But, man, when bad things happen, I think that's where character shows. And that's where I think yeah. you learn your most. And so don't be afraid of failure, what I'd say, whether it's a parent, you know, that wants to protect their kids because we, we may not be doing the best for them. It's okay to let them fail a little bit because yeah. we all learn more in those failures. A great teacher. Failure is a great teacher. Sure. It has been for me. That's been my story for sure. Let's do a couple rapid fire questions, Dave. Okay. Some fun stuff. How about your ideal day off of work? Oh God. Uh, well, <laughs> just at Thanksgiving, my church packs out huge tubs that feed 10 people for each tub for Thanksgiving. 
and we packed and hauled 1,517 of them. So that's over 15,000 people we fed just a couple of weeks ago. And I, it's my favorite day of the year uh, to take that day and just go do that. And uh, boy, talking about seeing some people that have a hard go in life and, sure. you know, five miles from our, you know, little nice community, that's a good reminder for me of what's important and what we need to be doing. But I love that day off. Uh, I'm trying to learn to play golf again. So that's something I'm going to, I never had time. So All right, um, when you get out there, you'll have to play with two hackers like Cap and I. Well, I'm a hacker. <laughs> yeah, I'm a definitely a hacker. Yeah. And then um, how about your favorite meal? <laughs> My wife would like me to say salad, steak, probably. Yeah, meat. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm learning. I'm trying. And then what about you have a favorite movie of all time? Oh, favorite movie. Oh, that would have to be like a combo of Braveheart, Gladiator. Oh, yeah. Remember the Titans. Oh, uh, top three, baby. Top three. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Those would, those would be in the top. I just saw that Maverick again. No Rudy. No Rudy. Oh, I love Rudy. Yeah. I used to have my son watch it every Friday before we'd play our game. You know, I coached him in high school and we'd watch that while we ate breakfast. He got sick of it, but it was so awesome. We watched that one scene every uh, Friday morning before he we went to school. It was awesome. You have a best concert you ever been to? Well, I'm so old, I probably can't remember all of them. But I'll tell you, I just took my wife for our 30th anniversary to an Earth, Wind & Fire concert oh, in wow. North Carolina. And it was awesome. And it was great. And you know what was great about it? If I could, every type of person was there, right? Yeah. Every ethnic background, rich, poor, I, it was all over. Yeah. And that's what America, and all having fun singing these songs. And that's what we need in, more in America. Uh, yeah. So that that was awesome for us. It was, and Super just to get away and do that. It was cool. Yeah. Hey, I think you have a favorite charity. Is there, we, we'll give you an opportunity to talk about a favorite oh, charity. Okay. Uh, well, I'm very involved in Young Life and have been my whole life. So I think that's a great one for people. Um, one in particular, so I guess to, to Ohio, about five years ago, our pastor said, hey, we got to do something. This opioid uh, problem is just devastating. And and Ohio has been the epicenter of it. And so he said, we got to do something. And my one buddy whose son wrestled with my son had had a problem uh, with addiction. And so he quit his job full time and went after this. And I kind of came alongside him to raise the money and try to work. So anyhow, we opened about a year and a half ago now, uh, almost two years ago now, uh, an opioid addiction clinic called uh, RestoreAddictionRecovery.com. And it is an, um, making an amazing impact of trying to help solve this problem. It's a 12-month program, and it's free, by the way, to the individuals. If you know anything about this world, people are charging like 50K for you know three months yeah. or 30 days of treatment, and the data shows that's not enough. You got to transform these people. And YouTube, by the way, if you ever come to town, let's go there and, and, and watch it. Every time I go for a board meeting, I cry like a baby because to hear these stories – these are guys that are just like you and me, right? They, they are a baseball pitcher, you know, tore out his shoulder in high school, got addicted like that. This stuff is so much more powerful than when we were kids, yes, right? Sure. I always thought, oh, guys that had that problem, those are all the burnouts or whatever, you know. Oh, my gosh. These are all people that's like you and me that made one bad choice and then led to 20 or 30 years of just throwing their life away. And they burned every bridge in the world um, where no one wants them. They feel like a nickel. They burned their family. 
So it's a faith-based program. So they got to know that the God of the universe still loves them and cares for them and has got a place for them. And this thing has been amazing. So th that would be a great one if anybody wants to check it out because we're trying to teach other communities how to do this. If they're interested, that's going to be our next phase. Uh, that's that coaching thing maybe. And uh, But that has been amazing to see what God is doing in the lives of these young men. It's all men right now. So we want to get the links to that. Uh, restore Restore addiction recovery dot com. Dot com. And we'll that's get a, the links and put it in the show. Oh wow, that's very nice. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So Cap's gonna wrap, but Dave, unbelievable. Thanks for taking the time. Cap and I and our audience are really grateful to have you explain the differences between, you know, private equity and educate people on the difference between that and venture capital. So thank you. Have some happy holidays. And uh, yeah, man, one of these days I'm going to see you in person again. I can't I wait. I know we got to do it. And, and guys, thanks so much. I hope this was helpful. And uh, I just appreciate what you guys are doing. And uh, thanks so much for having me on today. I hope uh, it was helpful to someone. Dave, you did such an incredible job of, you know, you under, you're so uh, understated. Um, I can, you know, for those of you just listening, you know, there's so many more layers to the onion that just a humble man we just spent an hour with. And I, I think the thing that I'm going to take away the most from what you said, one that really stuck out to me was just encouraging myself and, and others to, I mean, Saban talks about playing wherever your feet are. And your statement of bloom where you are planted is so powerful. Um, I thank you for that, uh, that insight. I thought you just did a great job today. It's really, really great to see you again. And thank you so much for carving the time out for us, brother. Well, man, I meant what I said. I was thinking about this over the weekend, and I owe you guys a lot, man. You made me better in those early days. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very, very much, and have a great uh, holiday. You do the same, we'll brother. We'll have to do it again friend. sometime. Absolutely. And for everybody, for everybody listening, thank you for listening to Revenue Builder. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. Forcemanagement.com.